0: what does it take to be a top-performing entrepreneur? Welcome to Inspiring Business Success, a podcast sponsored by Insperity, where we'll explore areas of entrepreneurial success and extraordinary professional performance. There is an abundance of good performers, but what about exceptional performance? This season, we will be exploring the defining characteristics of exceptional performers in business and in life. Inspiring Business Success is sponsored by Insperity. Insperity provides human resources solutions that make a difference in the success equation for the best small and medium-sized businesses. If you want to know more, go to insperity.com. Are you ready to reach new heights in your performance? Let's go to the studio now with Larry Schaefer, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Insperity, Dr. David Cook, author, speaker, and well-known sports psychologist, and Doug Tatum, author, professor and entrepreneur.
1: We've got one more critical choice. Let's talk about perseverance. Perseverance is the fifth choice in the
2: mental toughness pillar. And it may sound so straightforward and um, simple, but wow, it's critical. Perseverance is everything because the world that we compete in in sport and in business is one of persevering through all kinds of unpredictable things in our journey. And we want to be, as I spoke about earlier, adapters, you know, looking forward to solving the problem and the equation in the midst of chaos and allowing our company to emerge when everybody else is failing or whatever because we're different in how we think because we persevere and believe with that volitional choice, I will persevere in life. Scott Huffman, I've spoken about him. He was a pole vaulter that made it to the Olympics, and I talked about him in terms of embracing the pressure. Well, his his best friend and training partner was a guy named Pat Manson, and they were uh, just pretty much inseparable through college and then in professional uh, sports and track and field moving towards the Olympics. And Pat was also moving towards the Olympics the year that the Olympics were and that Scott was hurt. So Pat was sort of running away with the the vaulting in the indoor season. They have this thing in the track and field world called the Grand Prix Series where if you have – more points than other people in your event at the end of the indoor season, then you get a bonus, a boatload of money. And Pat was leading because he's in second, third, and fourth every week and gaining points. And it's five weeks before the national indoor championship and he comes in to me, and he doesn't have a smile on his face. Uh, I said, man, Pat, you're doing awesome. This is the best year. It's an Olympic year. You're just running away with the points. You're finishing second, third, and fourth every week. You're just so consistent. Pat's like, he's a 4.0, you know, was a mechanical engineering student. He's very smart. He's, you know, buttoned down. He's the first one to practice, the last one to leave. He's a coach's dream. And He's you know out of school now and he's still doing this as a professional. He's everything you'd want in an athlete and very consistent. You know you want that as a as a coach. And I said, "Pat, man, you're not smiling. What's what's the issue?" And he goes, "Well, I'll tell you." He says, "I didn't get into this to finish second, third, and fourth. I want to win." And 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 I know I can win, but there's something in me that's holding me back, and I want to find out what that is, and I want to win the National Outdoor Championship in five weeks. I want to win this thing, a big event. I haven't done it before, and so I challenge him on all this mental toughness concepts that we've been talking about. I said, so we got five weeks. There's five mental toughness concepts, and so each week, let's go through one. I want you to write about it. I want you to think through it. And I want you to come report it to me, and we're going to talk about it. And we'll just take a walk around you know the school while we're talking and creating a you know an accountability and for him to go deep with these principles and we go through the first four and now we're to the last week you know so we're going to cover perseverance it's the week of the national indoor championship we're going to meet on wednesday and on tuesday he's practicing and on the way up to 18 foot his pole breaks his fiberglass pole and it Bottom of his pole hits him right between the eyes, goes into his skull, and comes out kind of the back of his head uh, along the skull. And he's unconscious in a pool of blood uh, laying down on the, you know, the track. The EMS comes and take him. They get him to the hospital. He goes into shock. They don't know if he's broken his neck, his back, you know, what's going on. They air vacuum to the Kansas City Trauma Center. And I don't hear about this till the next morning. Um, this was back before cell phones were, were uh, adapted. And so I'm teaching a class and, at the university, and um, some of the athletes in there said, did you hear what happened to Pat? You know, I'm supposed to have a meeting with him at 10. I'm teaching his class at 9. And I said, uh, no, I didn't hear. And he says, well, he po- broke his pole. He's at the hospital. He's, You know, they went into shock. They don't know if he's broken his neck, his back, whatever. And, you know, he lost a lot of blood and all this kind of stuff. I'm going, oh, my gosh. So I'm going to head to the hospital. So I end the class a little bit early, go to my office. I'm about to leave my office door, and I get a I get a knock on the door, and I open the door, and there's this unrecognizable individual with a turban of gauze around his head, and his eyes are halfway closed, and his face is black and blue. It's Pat, and he's smiling. I go, Pat, what are you doing here? He goes, well, Doc, we had a meeting at 10. I go, oh, my gosh, I'm on my way to the hospital to see you. I just heard what happened. I said, are you okay? He said, well, my head hurts. Can I have a seat? Yes, please come on and have a seat. And... I said, Pat, man, what happened? He said, I don't remember, you know, but they tell me I broke my pole and and it tore through my skull. I've got 32 stitches in my head and some staples. And I said, what are you smiling about? He said, well, I asked some questions to the doctor. He said, I had a concussion, but this is way back before <laughs> concussion protocol but no broken bones, and I asked him, I said, is, is, is my head going to come undone? He goes, no, I tied it together with rope. You got 32 <laughs> stitches and some staples in there. It ain't coming undone. He goes, good. One question down. Number two, when's the swelling going down? He says about 24 hours, so he said, I'm going to change my flight from tomorrow to Friday and go jump on Saturday in the National Indoor Championship, <laughs> and third question was, when's the pain going to go, and he said, that's probably a week, and he says, well, I can eat Advil because they're a legal drug for athletes, so I'm good there, and so he says, Doc, can I go jump? And he Kind of went, I mean, if I land on my feet, you know, and it, and even if I land on my head, you know, we can re-sew it, right? You know, and so he catches the guy off guard, and he says, "Yes," and so Pat says, "So I'm going to go jump in the national indoor championship with 32 stitches in my head. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a testimony that this mental <laughs> toughness stuff works." Okay. And so he begins to do everything that we talked about all these day, you know, days, painting a masterpiece. He's going to come into the event where you can come in the vault wherever you want, way up higher, and just take a few jumps and win it. And that's what he was going to do. And he had to con all these people into letting him do it. And he does, and he goes there, and he's at the meet. And, you know, I'm thinking, did he sign a waiver? What's the guy doing? You know, crazy. This, this is beyond the call of, of what this stuff can do for you. But he's, he's got a plan. And remember, this was the week that we were going to talk about perseverance. We're not talking about it. The guy's living it. So he goes to the meet. He waits till it comes in at 18 feet. He walks up to the vault director and says, I'm in. Takes his hoodie off. No one's seen him really since then. And it looks like Frankenstein, you know. There's his head. He's got the the railroad track right down the middle of it. And the other vaulters are looking at him in shock. And now the track meet's turned into a carnival. All the people in the stands are coming down to see this thing. And 18-foot, there's, there's four vaulters. And um, so the vault director says, you're up first. He goes down. He makes it. Boom. Makes it. First attempt. One of the other guys misses. They go to 18 four and a quarter. Pat Manson, you're up. First attempt. Boom. He makes it. One of the other vaulters. Now it goes to 18-8 eight and a quarter. Personal record for, for Pat. Stadium record. Meet record. And Pat's first jump. 18 eight and a quarter, boom! He makes it. The other guy barely makes it on his third attempt, and all of the people in the stands are down there now because it, you know, it's kind of like a pro Frankenstein audience here. They move to 18 eleven and a quarter, new stadium, meet record, personal record for Pat and this other guy. First attempt, Pat makes it. 18 eleven and a quarter with 32 stitches in his head. Wow. The other guy's feet don't even make it to the bar. He's gone. And this crowd just is going crazy and erupting. And Pat Manson wins a national outdoor championship with 32 stitches in his head. And that, my friends, is a story of someone living out this idea of perseverance. Life is tough. Business is tough. We embrace the pressure. You know, we practice for the emergency. We paint a masterpiece. We trust our talents. And some days you just have to put one foot in front of the other and persevere. And that's exactly what Pat did that day to win his first national outdoor championship.
1: It was awesome. I don't want stuff to say, don't try this at home. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm cringing. Just to that,
1: that but that story. is unbelievable. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Doug, what do you think?
3: Well, you know, it is so true. I remember a line in a speech that got a lot of response from the audience when I talked about the notion of sometimes the strategy for the business. I called it the Monday morning strategy which is there is no strategy. You show up Monday morning because you've done everything else, and unless you catch a break, you're not going to go to Tuesday. And those are entrepreneurs that show up after they've done everything else, and nobody else would show up. Savardi, interestingly enough, tells that story in his book when they literally had to have some funding, and they'd done everything, and they're sitting in an office, and a guy walks in and offers the funding. In other words, that to me is the definition of perseverance is when when you are out of options and you show up. That is a uniquely entrepreneurial trait for those that make it and it is not easy. It uh, in fact in some respects it it rivals running down a uh, path with a, a long pole that broke the last time you used it.
1: Well, these are principles that are not for the faint of heart, are they? They're for the ones out there who really are aspiring to exceptionalism. You know, focus, passion, and mental toughness. These are the three key pillars, David, that you've shared with us. So let's talk a little bit about beyond successful achievement. What's next?
2: So we've talked about three pillars, and there's a fourth one. And really, I've done this for 35 years, and I've changed the way I approach this, and we've saved this for the very end, but it's the most important thing that we can talk about. What I've noticed with elite performers, those chasing success, um, are a couple things. When they reach the trophy, many, many are unfulfilled because the trophy doesn't satisfy. That's one point. The second thing is that I have found many champions that are egotistical selfish, um, me only, and they're not team players, but somehow they get a trophy. And when I put those two things together, it just makes it so important for us to finish this series with the idea that there's something beyond success that just getting the trophy or making it through the, you know, 20 minutes before the trophy celebration and getting it number one will not fulfill you. And secondly, Um, doesn't make anybody else necessarily better unless there's a different orientation or perspective around success. And so this podcast has really been leading to this culmination, and we just can't quit without sharing this information that is so important to each of us at this table. So I've gone from the idea of, of speaking and writing about the mindset of a champion to Um, a book that I just finished that will be out soon called Greatness. And I define greatness as selfless exceptionalism. And basically what we've done for these podcasts is talk about the exceptionalism aspect of that formula. To be great, to be known as one of greatness, you have to be exceptional. You have to be better at what you do than others, reach your fullest potential at a rate or a higher level or more often or in the, during game day than others. Exceptionalism there's, there's this so important in this formula, but the other aspect of that formula is selfless. And that's where people get their fulfillment. And that's where lives are changed. Teams are changed. People are changed. Communities are changed and nations are changed. When a person is selfless, that means this, my achieving, my, um, my desires to be a champion or to win the trophy, that my ultimate desire is to make those around me better. That in my pursuit, in my climbing to the summit, that I bring others along or make them better. People, employees, colleagues, communities, nation, that I'm emptying myself and using everything I have to bring life to other people rather than taking it. Greatness is selfless exceptionalism. It's the combining of those two. And let me finish this part up with, with this idea that I got from Victor Frankl's great book, A Man's Search for Meaning. He became a victim of the Holocaust camps back in World War II, was a psychiatrist, and began to wonder and think as a psychiatrist what would in the horrific situation that everyone was in, still some lived and some died. And he was trying to wonder, is it just disease? Is it, uh, is it sickness? Is it heart disease? Is it physical? What is it that's the reason that some live and some die? And he began to study this deeply and watch and and create his thoughts around this and his sort of, probably to keep him alive, his research within the concentration camp. His defining conclusion in the book was that there was a difference. And the difference was everybody was sick, everybody was beat up, everybody was hurting. Those that focused on their own hurts and their own illness and their own disease turned inward and would die. But others gave. Whatever they had, whatever there was in them, they gave to help another live. And if the defining difference was that those that give or gave lived, and those that focused in and on themselves died. His search for meaning conclusion was, and I paraphrase this, you, you, all of us need to read that book is when you give, you live, and when you take, you ache. Mm. And wow. so when we, look at, when we look at this idea of greatness, there's, there's no fulfillment in a trophy, much beyond a day or two, or a victory, because there's only another one that you have to, to have in front of you. When the Spurs won their first world championship, I remember talking to the coaches right before training camp the next year about how fulfilling was that? You know, the most fulfilling thing, was that the most fulfilling thing that ever happened? And, you know, one of the stark comments that came was, we've been trying to figure out how to repeat all summer. So there wasn't much time to think or celebrate, you know, in, a, in, in sort of the typical competitive world. It's like, what you did yesterday is gone. What are you going to do tomorrow? And so those of us that look at the trophy as going to, you know, make it happen, fulfill us and, you know, make our life, you know, satisfying. In and of itself, a trophy can never do that. And those of us that do this in a selfish way, and it has no effect on anybody else, what a waste. Because we could have done the same thing, but given of ourselves to others and taken them with us and made them better because of our selfless nature. I think we have to, we have to understand this, and we have to bring this into the picture you know, where our companies are today, where our sports teams are today, where our heroes are and where our nation is. This idea of greatness, selfless exceptionalism, is, is a key answer to who we are individually as a people, as a nation, as givers. And I think the only way out and the only way to fulfill is to live a life whose first goal every morning when we get up is how can I make someone else better? How can I encourage another person?
1: Wow. So, Doug, there's many ways to apply this in business. But before you do that, I'm just thinking you teach at Florida State. What would these young people think of this
3: concept? Totally foreign to them or not? Oh, that is a fascinating question. Completely unexpected. It was, (laughs) I know. That's uh, interesting because I think that my students probably have an enhanced a sense of looking for a value outside of profits. Now, it's interesting. I debated in front of a 1,000 people the whole notion of profits versus social purpose a while ago at the Inc. 5000 conference, where I was arguing very, hopefully, persuasively that a business had to have a value proposition. Profits, for example, has a really bad rep. Within this generation, incorrectly so, but because they're mixing the two things. They view profit as an alternative to purpose. Right. But I, I you know, I'm an either or kind of proposition. It's an either or, which I don't believe it is. I don't think we do around the table. But it's fascinating you ask that uh, because I think they are more sensitive to that. And actually, it's more important to them as employees, perhaps, than. than Earlier generations, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a heightened sense of that. The other place, as I'm listening uh, to David uh, talk, that I see this is with the entrepreneurs when they sell their businesses. So a lot of times there's a, a built into an entrepreneur a need to lead, and because they they step up and say, "Throw me the ball," you know, "Let me play quarterback." What they find is that no matter how successful the exit is, and a good friend of mine, Bo Birmingham, who you know very well, mm-hmm. uh, Larry, just wrote a book about that, Finishing big. He did a series of interviews, and, and there's very little fulfillment around the financial trophy, particularly when what's missing is that sense of purpose. So what you're describing, David, is a character quality. It's interesting to think that part of being successful is the character qualities you build in your life through the ups and downs and failures. I think I come away with a lot of this stuff, recognizing that folks that I know that have these wonderful character qualities aren't always on the front page of Inc. magazine. And that goes back to your point earlier that there's some very successful people here that aren't even in the sports runs that had the talent. So The character quality of being useful to others and a sense of purpose can – and I'm not saying you don't sell your business and there's all sorts of complexities about when and how and where and have you taken on investors, all the kind of things, Larry, that, you know, we talk about. But I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the trophy's not as important as the character qualities. And if you are, if that's what's driving you, the need to lead, the sense of purpose of um, creative landing on your feet, and you take that away and replace it with a big bank account, you know, with a very miserable person. Right. So I think it's very worthwhile talking. and I think our audience uh, will identify with that.
1: Yeah, and I think as we dig into this topic, it, it is really important to say we're not talking about it has to be either or. We're, we're not like just... Going over the edge and saying humanitarian principles are the most important thing in the world and nothing else matters. We're not saying that. These whole, fir- the first three pillars were all about high performance, about success and about exceptionalism. But we've been around long enough, the three of us, to know that uh, achieving that level of success is not the ultimate end. Very well said. Yeah. Selfless
2: exceptionalism or selfish exceptionalism, you know, those are, I just can't emphasize as much, as much. You've got to be great at what you do. Competition is a great way to bring it out and, and making it happen on game day, as we've talked about, is so extremely important. I've spent 35 years teaching this. It's just that at the end of the day, we want to use those talents to achieve those great goals in such a way that other people's lives are enhanced. And when that's a part, that's a fueling part. Earlier we talked about the importance of, uh, you guys talked about a cause, and I love the, the cause of insperity. It's a cause to change a community. It gets us up in the morning to say we can make a difference. That, that to me is
1: really, really special and sort of brings us back to why we're doing this. Join us next time as we look further into this topic, and if you liked what you heard today, subscribe and share, and thanks for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you next time.